Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Fiction. Science fiction, horror, fantasy, crime, LGBT, thriller. You have now entered the House of Mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. Heard on KCB 106.5 FM Los Angeles. 102.3 FM Riverside. And 1050 AM Palm Springs. Welcome back into the House of Mystery. And of course, I'm Al Warren hosting the show. And my co-host over on the other side of the country, uh, Mr. David Martino. Hey, Al. How you doing? I am delicious. You are. I'm tasty today. <laughs> Real tasty. Wet and syrupy. Um, another beautiful day. So now what, what we've got the, um, a classic. Uh, we've got a, a, a man that's written, or he's got a book out, and it's going to be covering his um, complete Leonard and Larry collection. So this is a, a strip, a gay comic strip from a few years back. And it's kind of a collection, all put in a book. Um, so let's welcome him here. It's uh, Mr. Tim Barella. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. As a comic strip person, um, when did you start writing and doing comic strips? Like, how? Did, where did that come from for you? Oh God, I always I talk about it in the introduction. Uh, it. Uh, it's something that I always wanted to do. I always wanted to draw cartoons and uh, write stories and whatnot. And uh, it was a long process of trying to get my foot in the door somewhere uh, in the business uh, after high school and, uh, you know, in the 1970s. And uh, eventually uh, 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 I kept coming up with these two characters, Leonard and Larry, and uh, they just seemed to click. There was just something about them. I thought, well, 
maybe I could develop a comic strip around these two guys. They were sort of the gay neighbors, uh, kind of a radical notion for, uh, for the funny pages in the newspaper, because that's what I was aiming for. I was uh, always submitting stuff to the newspaper syndicates back in those days and getting lots of rejections. And these characters kept showing up in my ensemble of, uh, you know, the neighbors who lived next door. And, and I thought, well, I could uh, develop a strip around them. And uh, then the opportunity came to uh, submit some sample cartoons to a little publication called Gay Comics up in San Francisco. And uh, that's where it all started. That was in the early 80s. How was the, uh, how was the mainstream or let's say the commercial world with, with dealing with your strips? You know, Leonard and Larry and things like that, a gay comic strip and giving a voice to LGBTQ people. Like what was that like in, in, in society in general? Well, uh, well, I remember uh, one time um, because I, I, you know, it, it, my comic strips, my cartoon characters and stories were uh, aimed at a particular audience in particular publications. But as far as the greater populace out there, they really didn't see my stuff. But I can relate a story about. Uh, the time that uh, at the big Comic-Con down in San Diego, I was involved with that for years, I was moderating a panel, and uh, suddenly I had Lynn Johnston, who did, who does, for better or for worse, in the newspaper. She was sitting next to me, and, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was an interesting experience because <laughs> there were all these, these other cartoonists and they were jealous of me because they, they talked about having these little tiny strips in the newspapers that people could barely read. And I had a full page in a tabloid size magazine. And, uh, so I was talking about, you know, my cartoons and, uh, it was interesting in that Lynn Johnston, uh, plans her stories way ahead of time and she was uh, she started talking because I was talking about gay issues she started talking about how she was planning to have her uh, the, the next door neighbor's kid in her comic strip come out of the closet and this was something that she was planning ahead of time and this was this was the first time anybody had ever heard of any of this she just she just blurted it out as far as I know. Her her uh, editor from her syndicate was sitting right in the front front row down below us. He was the same guy who was the editor for Doonesbury. and uh, yeah, and uh, you know he 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 probably didn't hear hear anything about it until then. So uh, uh, the interesting thing is. The, the reaction that she got when she finally pulled off this storyline. I mean, she got, she got newspapers canceling her comic strip. She got, she got hate mail. It was terrible back then. Uh, but uh, thankfully now things are different.
you know, people's attitudes have changed. What did you sort of um, have in mind when you do when you do a comic strip like this uh, with gay characters? Like, kind of, what was your what was your general storyline about? Was it just about issues, or uh, was was it more comedy and less serious? Well, well, what I wanted what I wanted to do at the time. Um, things that I wanted to get my foot in the door. I wanted to do something that nobody else was doing to find a, a niche for myself uh, that nobody else had filled. There were a lot of, as far as the different gay cartoons that were published in gay comics back then, there were a lot of issue cartoons. There was a lot of coming out stories. There was stuff like that. And my notion was, what if these two characters, they're already out of the closet. Their families already know about them. They, they're just living a normal life. And, uh, you know, how does living a normal life, uh, is it different for gay people? How do issues come up and how do they deal with them? And, uh, and so on and so forth. And uh, of course, I, I, you know, approached it in sort of a, a sitcom way. I've always been accused of doing a very light sitcom sort of cartoon style that I do as far as my writing goes and all. Uh, but uh, uh, that's how I dealt with it. You know, it was uh, just trying to find something that nobody else was doing. And nobody was doing a gay comic strip about families. Larry in the strip uh, was married. He was in in a heterosexual relationship uh, previous to meeting Leonard, and uh, he had two kids. And so the kids became uh, uh, main characters also. And then the kids had kids, and Larry became a grandfather. I don't think anybody who was drawing gay cartoons, but then had one of their characters becoming a grandfather. So, um, you know, it was just, it was just a lot of uh, fodder for my imagination and, uh, and uh, storytelling. And, uh, you know, it was more interesting than just doing issues. The issues came out, came up occasionally, but, uh, you know, I dealt with them in my own way. Now, it didn't doesn't look like you met immediate success trying to sell Leonard and Larry. Uh, was it a struggle to get the strip published? Uh, no, not really. I, I, it was a struggle to get any kind of cartoon uh, sold back then, you know, sending mm. things to syndicates and, and whatnot. But I think that uh, when I sent the samples of Leonard and Larry cartoons, which are the... Uh, first little cartoons that appear in the collection. When I sent them off to gay comics, it was uh, immediate acceptance and, you know, they wanted to publish them. But as far as other things, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it was always a struggle trying to, trying to send things to uh, newspaper syndicates. I, I met somebody who worked uh, later, late years later uh, at the, uh, Comic-Con, I met somebody who had worked at uh, the uh, uh, Los Angeles Times Syndicate 
And uh, he told me that uh, he used to see my stuff coming in and said, you know, I always liked your stuff. You know, nobody else did. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, anyway, but it, it uh, you know, I, I, I never had any luck with that anyway. Just, just as well, because I probably be, you know, the uh, newspapers are unfortunately going the way of the dodo and mm. Uh, so are the funny pages. So uh, I'd probably be doing something completely different today. So when you were doing these, did you have kind of a uh, a thing that you wanted people to get out of the the comic strips? Was there kind of a um, a purpose to it? Uh, I I think the main purpose was just making people laugh. And uh, and making them think when it, when I wanted to deal with an issue, there wasn't any particular agenda that I had going going into it. I I just uh, started thinking about you know what would be an interesting, funny situation, and if there was something political that was going on that I wanted to talk about, I'd find a way to work it into the storyline, you know, like, uh, oh, I wish that I would have been doing the comic strip back when, uh, oh, when Proposition 8 uh, was an issue here in California, or uh, or uh, when Brokeback Mountain didn't win Best Picture for the, for the Academy Award. Uh, I wish I could have talked about that, you know, because the you know, the, the, the strip was very L.A. based. It was about people who lived in L.A. Larry's, um, oh, excuse me, Leonard's uh, brother was a television producer and writer. And so I, I talked about show business and Hollywood a lot. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, uh, I wish I would have had those opportunities. But unfortunately, the strip ended uh, few years before that controversy came up. So, so your characters, your main characters, Leonard and Larry, um, where did they come from for you? Like, did you find them from people you kind of knew? Or were they uh, someone you've seen somewhere? Or how do you assemble your characters like that? Uh, they're just figments of my imagination. <laughs> they really, you know, very few of my characters are actually based on actual people. They, uh, they just, I don't know. It just, it just, they just pop into my head. You know, when I, when I'm thinking of, you know, stories that I'd like to tell, you know, I just create these characters and, uh, well, wouldn't it be interesting to throw in this, uh, this little quirk in their personality and uh, and whatnot, and you know, an ethnic background or or something like that, uh, and I just sort of make them up out of whole cloth. How long would it take you to write one of these strips in general? Uh, the Leonard and Larry strips. Uh, once I started doing uh, stuff for. Uh, uh, magazine called The Advocate, and then after The Advocate, uh, Leonard and Larry went to another uh, magazine called Frontiers. They were both tabloid-sized uh, uh, publications, and I had a full page. And uh, I had a deadline every two weeks. 
for each of those magazines. Uh, gay comics prior to that uh, was whenever I came up with something, I would just send it to them. They'd stick it in the next issue. But once I started working for the magazines and prior to that, I had experience doing cartoons for motorcycle magazines in the 1970s. And so I knew what it was like to work under a deadline. And uh, so for Leonard and Larry, I had a deadline every two weeks. Never, never missed a deadline in uh, 12 years doing stuff for Frontiers magazine. Every two weeks, <laughs> another strip. When you look back on all this stuff, are you pretty happy with how it turned out? Oh, I guess <laughs> I, I, you know, it just, it just turned out, you know, I just, you know, uh, make it all up as I, as it went along. And yeah, there are, there are some storylines that, that I'm very happy, happy about because, uh, there were a lot of characters in Leonard and Larry, but not just Leonard and Larry, they were their kids. They were their friends and uh, friends' relatives and, and different situations. I, I would come up with ideas for different situations and different characters. And, and sometimes for, for uh, you know, a handful of strips, like, like four, five, six strips in a row, wouldn't have anything to do about Leonard and Larry at all. It would have to do with one of the other characters. Uh, or Larry's employee, or uh, or their friends, or uh, something like that. And I I delve into uh, you know all the things in their lives, and it it made it more interesting for me. It, uh, you know, at least I I I wasn't wanting for ideas for for uh, for jokes and storylines and whatnot. Now, it seems like um, you've aged your characters uh, throughout the strips, and that seems, oh, yeah. you know, very different from, you know, most cartoons. I was just wondering, um, you know, why you decided to age your characters? Uh, to be different. Um, mm. I just never liked the idea of these cartoons that, you know, I saw as an adult, and I remember seeing as a little kid looking at the funny pages and the characters never aged. They were always, mm. Dennis the Menace was always a little kid. <laughs> yep. You know, it, it just, they never change. And, and the fact that my characters aged made the storylines more interesting. There were, there were mm. things that I could talk about, uh, about Larry being paranoid about growing older and, uh, he was a uh, he was about to turn fifty when when the strip ended. Um, but I I used to like to deal with things like that about about how time passed and how uh, uh, things changed in people's lives. It wasn't just a static situation with uh, with lots of gags. Mm. Um, and I was very proud of the fact that I was one of only three comic strips in the country that had their characters had my you know had their characters aging in real time it was me wow. 
It was Lynn Johnston who did For Better, For Worse, mm. and Gasoline Alley. And that was it. Just the three of us. I would think it takes a lot of talent, you know, to to be able to sit there and draw the characters and do the whole strip and come up with the, the theme and stuff. Um, where did you get the confidence for that? Where did you take any art classes, or has it just come natural? I guess it just comes natural. It's just it's just what I do. It's just you know I tell stories and I tell stories with pictures, and, and uh, it's it's something that I always used to play around with uh, as a little kid, you know, and growing into adulthood. It's just something I always wanted to do, and something something that I was good at better than most of the other things that i can do so so it just came naturally i guess did do you have other uh, is there other comic strip uh, uh writers or producers that you sort of um looked up to or that that were your favorite oh i guess there were quite a few of them i um particularly remember a cartoonist named dave Berg, I think his name was, in Mad Magazine. He did very sort of realistic, real human-looking characters that uh, were cartoony at the same time. And I think that that's where I got the greatest influence as to how to design my characters to you know, people have always pointed that out, that my car. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Characters don't look like cartoon characters. They look like real people but in a cartoony way and uh, i think that that uh, dave berg had a great influence on me i used to uh, love to read his stuff in mad magazine whenever i pick it up as a kid uh other cartoonists uh gary trudeau whose name i couldn't pronounce earlier gary trudeau <laughs> and doonesbury were a great influence as far as uh uh, you know, uh, topics and, and, uh, and dealing with, uh, uh, well, anyway, I, I just like this stuff. And, uh, let's see. It's been such a long time since I've really followed any of the newspaper comic strips. Uh, Calvin and Hobbes. God, that man's a genius. Absolute genius. And his, um, his artwork is superb. And, you know, when you look at it and you, you look at the line work and you think, he does this with a brush. The man draws with a brush. He doesn't use a pen. It's just amazing stuff. Um, uh, let's see, who else? Who else was a big influence on me? Uh, there, uh, oh, I'm trying to remember there was there was an there was a cartoonist in Playboy magazine uh who did these really weird, creepy what was his name? Oh, now I brought him up and I can't remember his name. <laughs> <laughs> but uh but he did he did these quirky things, uh you know, sort of these macabre little little cartoons and they were just they were just so wonderful. And, uh, uh, oh, you know, once I start thinking about it, I can probably think of, of tons of different cartoonists like Edward Gorey or, uh, or, uh, oh, what's his name who did The Far Side? I'm not good. Oh, I was just going to say him mm. in The Far Side. Yeah. yeah, I'm not good with names. If you can remember his name, I'll appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> I no, I am not good with names. What, what do you think of the um, the business now? You know, so many newspapers are kind of going under, or they go online, and and all that. Do you think that the the comic strip business is going to kind of fade away, or do you think it's still? Going oh, I think that people will still do stuff online. That's something that I never wanted to do. That's why when 
the strip was canceled back in 2002, uh, why it's taken 20 years for it to sort of come back in a compilation. I, I just never wanted to do anything online. I didn't, didn't want to run my own website or anything like that. But a lot of people out there do, and uh, there are a lot of online cartoons, good, bad, and indifferent. And uh, some of them, some of them are exceptionally good. And that's what people do now. And how they can manage to run these websites and self-publish collections. Uh, just dealing with my publisher at Rattling Good Yarns Press over this past summer and trying to put this book together, I, how do people do it? You know, it was just insanity trying to put this book together. And it's, and it's completely different now. Everything's print on demand. And, and uh, of course, they can, my publisher can contact me through emails and texts. And, and, you know, it was pretty, for the most part, in the old days when we put books together, it was kind of hands-off. I had a book designer in, uh, in Illinois, and my publisher at, uh, at uh, uh, Dreamhaven Books at Collier Press, uh, uh, my old publisher, uh, he's in Minneapolis, still in Minneapolis. And, uh, you know, I dealt with them. I give them phone calls and They'd call me, and it was pretty. But it was pretty hands off. They just, you know, put things together. But now, you know, oh my God, my publisher now for putting this compilation together. He was calling me every day <laughs> for a couple of weeks. I mean, oh, there's Ian again. Oh, what does he want now? You know, but. Ian did a good job. The The book turned out really, really nice. And I'm very happy. I'm very happy with it. Do you think underground comics paved the way for changes in mainstream comics, movies, and TV today? Probably. It had a, a lot to do with it. Um, uh, certainly, gay comics, where, where Leonard Lay was first published, that was sort of an underground comic book. Hmm. And uh, I think that uh, the underground stuff had uh, a lot of influence, yeah. So you ever, you never thought you'd go further and write a book or anything like that? Uh, it's sitting in front of me. I'm sitting oh. at my workspace. <laughs> oh, Ian knows about it. Ian knows that I'm working on this. It's based on some other cartoon characters of mine. It's, it's all part of my cartoon universe. In fact, some of the characters from Leonard and Larry show up here. And, uh, you know, it's uh, almost finished. I'm working on the last chapter. And uh, it's the next book project. And we may be doing this all over again for a year from now. <laughs> I don't well, know. There you go. I don't that's, know. That's a... <laughs> well, it, 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 so what is your relationship uh, with your characters. I ask that because so many of the fiction writers I, I talk with um, seem to have a unique relationship with their own characters. I don't know, but kind of how I could uh, 
answer that. You see, some well, some people say that you know, like fiction writers will say, oh, well, they're they're kind of like my family, or they're kind of like my kids, or they're like they they have descriptions like that. Which, um, as a nonfiction writer, I'm I'm never quite sure what how that goes. So I'm just wondering if it's that way for a comic strip person as well, or something. Or uh, no. uh, I don't know. I. Uh, uh, I'm 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 thinking of an an interview that Terry Gross did with uh, a major film star, and I'm bad with names. I am not remembering names today. Major <laughs> film star who lived in Texas. He has his own cattle ranch, and Terry Gross was was going. So, what is your relationship to your cattle? <laughs> you know, this guy was was going what? <laughs> you know, you're, you're going to ask me what kind of relationship I have with my cattle. You know, I raise them, I sell them, people eat them, you know, or whatever. But uh, um, Leonard and Larry, I, uh, you know, they're just, uh, they're, they're sort of uh, part of my life, I guess, in a way. They're, they're sort of extensions of my personality. They're... Uh, I don't really think of them as my children or anything like that. What's interesting is how my readers think of them. It's, it's, it's really remarkable how, uh, when I used to get fan mail, but, uh, uh, not so much anymore. Maybe I'll start getting it again. But when I used to talk to, uh, to readers and read their letters and stuff like that, they, actually started thinking of Leonard and Larry as almost like real people. Um, sort of that, uh, that uh, thing that they talk about in the movies or stage production, you know, a suspension of disbelief hmm. that, that this is no longer just pen and ink on paper, that somehow these are, these are real people living real lives and, and your readers get to care about them. And care about what happens to them. And care about what I do to them in my stories, and and that's probably the coolest thing of all. Not what kind of relationship I have, but what kind of relationship that my readers have with my characters. Well, did, they, did that ever? Um, have you ever done something with with one of the characters that maybe upset a reader or followers? Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> there was a time. There was a time. I had this uh, Larry's uh, uh, employee at his leather shop, uh, a guy named uh, 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 Jim. Jim fell in love with uh, somebody named Merle, who was from Texas, and he was sort of a B-movie actor. And he with help from Leonard's brother, the producer and writer, who got Merle a job on his sitcom, Merle became a sudden success. And uh, so there was all these issues of, of uh, Hollywood that Merle would have to deal with, and one of them was that he had a personal assistant. And this personal assistant... Um, had a thing for Jim. Uh, Jim had suspected that this woman was trying to, as uh, he put it, 
get into Merle's pants, but that's my territory. <laughs> and uh, when he, what he finds out is that she's really after him because Merle had been in heterosexual relationships previously, and he wasn't, wouldn't have been a conquest. Jim would be a conquest because Jim had never been in a heterosexual relationship. He was a virgin, and it was a challenge for her. Her name was Vicky, the personal assistant. And um, Jim, uh, when he was confronted with this, said, okay, I'm willing to try something. You know, I'm willing to, you know, try something that I've never tried before, you know, sure. How about next Friday? And readers got really upset. You know, Jim would never do that. You know, why do you, you know? And of course, you have to read the book. I am not going to spoil it. It is one of the funniest things that I've ever written. What Jim ended up setting a trap for Vicky and what happened to Vicky in the strip after that. And then readers were writing in going, oh, meow, that was nasty. Oh, that was good. <laughs> you know, so, um, yeah, but it upset them. But uh, they had to wait until the next strip to find out where I was going with it and find out, you know, no, Jim was not going to cheat on Merle. Jim was not going to, uh, uh, you know, go to the dark side. You know, everything's fine. You know, and and my cartoon world continues. Do you ever cover the the topic of sexuality in the comic? How so? I guess in a way of of how uh, two men um, live together and kind of their their ways sexually as well. Or did you stay away well, from? Well, I I always uh, I always thought that the best way to deal with humor is to leave the gag up to the reader's imagination. You talk about it, you set it up, and then you leave it to the reader's imagination because it's much funnier in their imagination than if you would have shown the pratfall. And as far as sex went, I talked about it around the edges, but the readers filled in the rest in their imaginations and it was sexier and more exciting to them because I didn't show anything. They just imagined it. And I would hear from readers about all kinds of things that they imagined this character doing and that character getting into. And, and I never really talked about it. It was all in their heads. And I think it works better when, it's, uh, when you do it that way. Yeah, yeah, I do too. I think that's great. That's great. Now, um, are you set up and have a website and a place that you'd like people to come find you? Or are you on all the social media? Or are you no. kind of... <laughs> no. You're just <laughs> I, you're hiding. I, I don't even have a computer. I am talking to you on my, on my smartphone, and that's about as high-tech as I get. Um, you know, people, people can go, you know, I do not do social media. I do not have a website, uh, nothing like that. And I am happy that I don't, um, uh, you know, just if you want to find anything about me and, uh, and my, uh, 
and my book and my cartoons. Uh, you go to my publisher's website. Everything is there. Right. Okay. We'll have that up on our website as well. Very so good. So can find you. And, you know, at least you weren't talking to us on your dial. <laughs> <laughs> right? No, no. I mean, you know. It, I, it, you know, I've had, I've had, I've had other iterations of technology since then. <laughs> you know, at, least, at least I had a flip phone before this. But, uh, uh, yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, but, uh, but uh, uh, no, no, I haven't had a li- landline in years, so. Well, so you're not that far back. No, Come on. no, <laughs> no. But uh, wow. So uh, how how was everything for you during the pandemic? Everything gone all right, or is it, it kind of a struggle? Or what do you think? No, I've I've been retired for uh, you know uh, quite some time. Uh, we uh, the pandemic uh, sort of delayed this this project. This uh, this you know complete Leonard and Larry collection compilations, whatever you'd like to call it, was delayed by the pandemic. It should have been out um, probably a year ago. But, uh, but it, you know, fi- things finally, you know, things finally came together. And, and uh, you know, I, uh, this other thing that's sitting in front of me that I'm working on, that started during the pandemic, you know, just as a, you know, sort of twiddling my thumbs, can't get out of the house. Uh, let me try to uh, revisit other cartoon characters and see what uh, what comes up. And that's uh, that's a strip that I did for Bear Magazine back in the late '80s. I did one strip, just one strip called Grizzly and Ted, and uh, they. Uh, the readers of Bear Magazine remembered that. Years later, I was always hearing about how people wondered about those characters and wondered about, uh, you know, uh, when I might do something. And, and I thought, you know, this was in the back of my head, and I started, started playing around with it. And, uh, you know, I started doing that during the pandemic. Uh, unfortunately, I have carpal tunnel syndrome, and... Uh, drawing was always an issue, you know, having pain and whatnot, but I thought that it, you know, I haven't had problems since Leonard and Larry was canceled, but I started trying to draw Grizzly and Ted again, and, uh, and gosh, the carpal tunnel came roaring back, and it was really bad. So I had to stop doing that. But, but the first eight pages of those efforts, of uh, revisiting Grizzly and Ted are in the new book. And so people can see what I'm talking about if they look at the book, look in the introduction. First eight pages of Grizzly and Ted are there. I guess I guess you couldn't really get someone else to do the drawing for you, could you? Oh, the big, the big cartoonists do that. Uh, well, they usually do their own drawing, but they, they have somebody else ink it for them. And as far as the comics, comic books go uh yeah it's really stratified somebody writes them somebody pencils in the captions somebody else inks just captions somebody else draws the drawings and somebody else entirely uh inks the drawings i'm not like that i always did 
everything, you know, and, uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't think I'd trust somebody else to draw my cartoon characters for me anyway. Uh, uh, there, there, I would have to be a really special relationship, a relationship that I don't have with any other artist, at least right, not right now. Well, you know, maybe, maybe one day <laughs> someone will hear you. I don't know. <laughs> They'll call we'll you. See. You never know. We'll see. We'll see. You never, yeah, you never know. Well, it's certainly been a pleasure. Um, now, we're talking about uh, the book coming out called The Complete Leonard and Larry Collection. And the author, creator of these strips, of course, in behind the book, has been our guest. And that's uh, Tim Barella. Thank you for coming on the show. Well, thank you for having me. Thanks, Tim. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. The mission has been completed. The end! By George, he's got it! It is the end! I'll see you. If you're lying to me, I'll be back. This has been a production of Something Wave Media. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. 
This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.